We'll turn to Luke 8 and to give honor to the word of the Lord and to give honor to our God who has given us his holy word. Let's stand as we turn to Luke chapter 8 starting at verse 40. This is God's holy and infallible word. And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house, for he had only an only daughter, about twelve years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for twelve years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue uh, official, saying, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher any more. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she will be made well. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but he said, Stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately, and he gave orders that something be given her to eat. Her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray. We thank you, our glorious Lord, our mighty God, for this, your word, and we pray that as your word is preached, that you would help us, help us to not be afraid, but to only believe, and to believe in that one and only begotten Son whom you've given us, even Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. When there is a life-threatening trial that comes upon you, Ultimately, there are only two main responses that you can have, either fear or faith. Fear of what could happen, what might happen, what's going to happen to me if I die. 
if you get a terminal diagnosis and they're, they're telling you that you have maybe months or even maybe a, a few years left to live, can you respond with fear or with faith? Again, what would happen to me? What will happen to my family? What is God's hand in all this? Is the doctor right or will God spare me? Jesus was victorious over legion. Legion was a group of demons that inhabited one man of the Gerasenes, the land of the Gerasenes, which is opposite the side of Galilee, that is, opposite the side of uh, Capernaum, opposite that town on the other side of the lake. Um, Jesus had cast out the demons that were inhabiting this one man by permitting them to go into the swine. The swine were out of control at that point. They ran down a steep embankment and they were cast into the sea or fell into the, into the lake there, the Sea of Galilee, which is really a really large lake and not, a, not an ocean or sea. Um, and they then drowned. The people, though, you think might have been glad that Christ had cast out not only one, but a group of demons in their midst asked Jesus to depart from them. We don't know the motivation why, but they asked Jesus to leave. So Jesus and his disciples got back in the boat and they crossed over the Sea of Galilee and they went back to uh, an area near Capernaum. That's according to Mark's account of the gospel. So it doesn't tell you what town he's in in verses 40 and following, but according to Mark's account, they're in an area near uh, Capernaum. But notice this big contrast. Get away from us, Jesus. We don't want anything to do with you. But here, as he gets back out of the boat on the side of the ocean near Capernaum, among the more Jewish people, um, they were expecting him. They were wanting to see him. They had a great anticipation for him and even welcomed him. Look at verse 40. As Jesus returned, the people welcomed him. For they had all been waiting for him. Maybe many were hoping to be healed. Many were hoping to be delivered. There were already many miracles that Jesus had already done in that land. Many had been delivered from various illnesses and evil spirits. And many were astounded by his preaching and teaching. But as we get to today's text, the main focus is that Jesus calls you not to be afraid but to believe in him. Jesus calls you not to be afraid, but to believe in him. We'll see this in two main points. Two fearful people and two miraculous reliefs. So let's look at this first main point. Two fearful people. Verses 41 through 44. And there came a man named uh, Jairus, and he was the official of the synagogue and fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house. For he had only one daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage of 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. Now, you... I've always thought about this. Maybe you've been wondering about it as well. Why this intermingled connection between these two people? There are some similarities here, but uh, 
why did you have this story of, of Jairus who's asking for help and also this woman who having a, a flow of blood for 12 years? Why were they intermingled here? Now, the first answer is that in God's providence, they both were seeking Jesus at the same time. God ordained for their needs to overlap. God ordained for Jesus to be in their midst both at the same time, and they both sought him at the same time. Let's look a little bit more at this man, uh, Jairus. Um, the best translation here is that he was a ruler, not, I guess you could say official, but a, a ruler is the best translation of the synagogue. He was likely an elder among a group of other elders who ruled over what happened in the synagogue, the order of worship, maybe even the maintenance of the building used, things of that sort. But he was seeking Jesus for his very ill daughter. Notice he wasn't afraid that his daughter might die. It says here that she was dying. This man was aware that his daughter was dying, according to verse 42. Maybe Jesus sought him earlier when she became ill. But where was Jesus? Well, Jesus went to the land of the Gerasenes, and then he, then he was sailing back from the land of the Gerasenes. And the whole time Jesus is away, she's getting terminally ill and is in the process of actively dying. So Jesus asks for help. I mean, uh, Jairus asks Jesus for help, and then they're on their way walking, and as they're walking, they got really majorly hindered in getting back to his house to heal his daughter, because these great crowds are pressing in among Jesus and Jairus, and they're having a real slow pace. I'm sure, I'm sure this father's aggravated these crowds and slowing them down. But intermingled in this great crowd is a woman that no one probably noticed. And she is not named, but she also had a need and was seeking the help of Jesus. Now, this woman had a hemorrhage for 12 years. It says in verse 34, she could not be healed by anyone. So her problem she had, this health condition, major health condition, happened to be the same amount of time that uh, Jairus' daughter was alive. He had a daughter of 12 years, and she had this problem, this major health problem for 12 years. Mark gives us more details in his gospel account. He says that she had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had, that's all the money she had, and was not helped at all, but rather uh, her problem had grown worse. In other words, there was no board of medicine to dictate how these practices should be done, and maybe a lot of these things were very strange remedies that didn't help her at all, but her problem became much worse. And she not only lost all of her money seeking to cure this problem, she had a great loss of her involvement in the Jewish community because she was considered ceremonially Unclean, according to Leviticus 15. She was unclean. Anyone who touched her was unclean. She likely suffered from chronic anemia, from weakness and fatigue, because she would no doubt have had an extreme iron deficiency if she's bleeding for 12 years straight. She was socially isolated. She 
couldn't go to the market and go shopping. She couldn't go and see friends in their homes. She couldn't go to the temple. She couldn't go to the synagogue because she was unclean. So she was socially isolated. According to the ceremonial law, she should not have been in the midst of that crowd in the first place. Because think about it. How many people brushed up against her, touched her, her garments? They were all to be considered ceremonially unclean. So both people had great needs. Both had great fears. Jairus feared the loss of his only daughter. This woman with the hemorrhage, unnamed woman, she feared that her problem, her health trouble, would never go away. Maybe she even feared she would die from it. Another commonality is that they both sought Jesus as the answer to their fears. When we're fearful, remember, don't endure your fear alone. Your cares, your fears, cast them upon the Lord as these two did here. 1 Peter 5 says this, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety, you could say all your fears, on him because he cares for you. And let's see this care that has shown forth in these two miraculous reliefs that are given. Let's look first at Jesus when he's on the way to the home of Jairus. Verse 44 says that um, the woman came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. You can imagine the great joy she had at that point, and maybe an immense sigh of relief when she knew that she was healed. But then Jesus asked this question, Who was it that touched me? Now, Peter thinks that this, Peter thought that this question was out of place, because he says, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. Well, the answer is, everyone's touching you. This whole crowd is touching you. Or at least 10 to 15 people at one time all gathered around Jesus. But then Jesus clarifies the question in verse 46. Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. So this woman who was healed, has this immense joy for being healed, is relieved beyond all comparison of anything, that, probably the greatest experience of her life, the moment she knows she's healed of her hemorrhage. But then she goes from this great joy to great fear because she's afraid, because now she has to testify before this entire crowd what happened. And look at verses uh, 47 through 48. Then the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, and she came trembling. She's afraid. She came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. See, this wasn't her plan. She really wanted to be healed incognito. She didn't want anybody to notice her. 
Maybe the reason she didn't want anyone to notice her because she shouldn't have been there in the first place. If she was ceremonially unclean, she shouldn't have been in a crowd of people. Um, so she wanted to be healed and not noticed. She might have expected a reprimand. How could you have gone out among this crowd if you were unclean? But instead, Jesus says this, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Her faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ healed her, made her clean. God used that faith. Well, really, it was the work of Christ, but through faith, she had been healed. Now, we need to make a correction here. You've probably heard this. Um, some people call it, uh, use the term faith healers, but it's really weird because they, they don't put the, the notion of faith upon the healer, but the, the notion of faith upon the one who's to be healed if you go to a particular church of some different flavors of, uh, you could say, more of a, um, some might call a full gospel church, because they would say that we're not a full gospel church, because we don't have all these sign gifts and speaking in tongues and all this sort. But some of these churches would say that if a person goes up to be healed, and they're not healed, it's not the faith healer, it's not the pastor, the preacher, the visiting minister or whatever, who's to be held at fault. It's the individual who could not be healed because they would say that they didn't have enough faith. They're the ones at fault why they were not healed. They lacked faith. Now, I hope you think there's something wrong with that interpretation. I want us to look at second, keep your place in Luke, but look at Second Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12. Now this is immediately after Paul is given one of the most amazing visions of his entire life. He sees a glimpse of heaven, of paradise, and he heard things of inexpressible words. And starting in verse 7, he says this, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Notice this. Paul prayed for deliverance from this, what he calls, thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times. He's asked others to pray for him. But Paul was not healed. So my question then, was Paul lacking in faith to be healed? Paul, through whom we've been given an immensity in the, of the New Testament scriptures, was Paul lacking in faith? I asked this of a 
woman of a, a charismatic persuasion once, and she told me that Paul's problem was that he was committing sexual immorality. See, that's what happens when people don't want to use Scripture to interpret Scripture. They make up stuff that Paul was guilty of sexual immorality, and that's why Paul didn't get healed, because he was committing sin. That is a lie from Satan. So here we have a woman. Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. But there are times, such as in the life of Paul, where God chooses for his own reason, and the reason in in Paul's life was that in Paul's weakness, his grace would show forth more in in the life of Paul. So sometimes when folks uh, of our day and age are not healed, God has a reason for these things as well. So getting back to Luke 8. Immediately after this woman was blessed with a miraculous healing, Jairus was given the worst news of his life. Verse 49. While he, that is Jesus, was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Imagine his heart sinking, how he's losing hope at this point. But then in the midst of this loss of hope, fear, and grief, Jesus says to him, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she will be made well. Verse 50. And Jesus then raises her from the dead. Look at uh, Luke's account, verses 51 through 56. When he had come to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter, Peter, John, and James, and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but he said, Stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned. And she got up immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given her to eat. Notice this interesting little point at the end, that Jesus wasn't just interested in relieving death, and raising this child from the dead, but he was interested in her being relieved of hunger as well. Um, I've, I've read somewhere that maybe if she had a very serious illness, she might not have eaten for quite some time before she got this sick. So Jesus here is even concerned about her having a, a relief of hunger. But then we have this curious little commandment given by Jesus here. Verse 56. Her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. This is totally in contrast to what happened to the man who was freed from legion, that legion of demons, in the land of the Gerasenes. Jesus said, go and tell your family, your household, what has happened. Of course, he went and told the whole town. But here, Jesus says, don't tell anyone. Now, one of the main reasons is that, according to John's gospel, when Jesus did mighty works and people began trusting and believing that he was the Messiah, 
according to John 6:15, they intended to take him by force and make him a king. Look at what you have done, Jesus. You are the promised Messiah. We will make you king, and we will raise an army, and we will fight the Romans now because God has given us his Christ, and now we will, we will revolt. But you see, Jesus didn't come for that reason. He didn't come to start a physical revolution to overthrow the Romans. He came to suffer and die on the cross for sinners such as you and me, even for his sheep, for his elect and holy ones. Now, in light of these great healings, when we in our church pray for health needs, and if you look at our church bulletin, the vast majority of, of prayer requests are for health needs for either for people of the congregation or friends of the congregation. We're, we are praying for doctors, nurses, therapists to have wisdom in giving the right medicine, giving the right therapy, giving the right treatment. But we're not only praying for that. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 5, section 3 says, God in his ordinary providence maketh use of means, medicine, surgery, therapy. Yet he is free to work without, above, and against them at his pleasure. This section here clarifies that God can work above and beyond what medicine or doctors can do. What, above and beyond what surgeons can do. Now, keep this in mind. When we read this text and we see the miracles, we see the deliverances, we see the demon possessions, demons being cast out, this to a great degree is, are signs and wonders that testify that Jesus is Messiah, the eternal Son of God. When the apostles then performs similar miracles in the New Testament, it's to testify that they are apostles of God as well. When the canon of Scripture has closed, the canon of Scripture has closed, I do believe miraculous revelations are no longer given in the form of any prophecy whatsoever whether tongues or interpretation of tongues as well. But does, that does not mean that God has stopped working in a way, in a supernatural way, and even in this world. According to Westminster Confession of Faith, it is our confession's position that God works above and beyond means. But getting back to this focus, Jesus calls each of you not to be afraid, but to trust in him. Even if you are healed from an illness, even a terminal illness, is appointed each, for, each of us, for, for each of us to one day die unless Christ returns first. Each of us in this life must die and face the Lord our God. What is your hope on that great day? Well, you have to stand before God when he calls you home. 
do you have to be afraid? The answer is that if you're trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're believing that Jesus has died, not for some, but for all of your sins, and if Jesus has obeyed the law for you, that you can stand in his sight and not be afraid to stand in the presence of God because of the perfect, complete work of salvation given to you through Jesus Christ. These two people were relieved of their fears, and you could be relieved of even that greatest fear, even that fear of death. And these two miraculous reliefs show forth that Jesus is truly the Son of God given from the Father before the foundation of the world. Put your faith in Him, and you do not have to be afraid, even for the worst possible news that you may ever get in your life. Let's pray together. We ask our Lord that you would help us to not be afraid, but to trust in our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord, that you made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that through him we might become even that righteousness of God in him. O Father, help us to put our faith in this blessed Savior, even Jesus our Lord, that we would not fear, but that we would love and trust you on that great day. Help us, we pray, for we ask all these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, let's turn to 283 and we'll stand and sing, Fairest Lord Jesus. Let's stand and sing 283.